Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. Not only have I been the owner of Mint Mobile for the last few years, I've also been a customer. I don't know if you knew this, but anyone can get the same premium wireless for $15 a month plan that I've been enjoying. It's not just for celebrities, so do like I did and have one of your assistant's assistants switch you to Mint Mobile today. I'm told it's super easy to do at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Tis the season to shine with H&M. Discover the holiday collection and find fashionable pieces for your wardrobe or for under the tree. Get inspired and dazzle with this year's glam. From tuxedo styles, bow detailed pieces, impressive prints, and more. From unforgettable looks to unforgettable gifts. With fashion finds to home decor, find it all at H&M. Treat your loved ones and yourself this season. Shop in-store or at hm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds, owner of Mint Mobile, with a message for everyone paying big wireless way too much. Please, for the love of everything good in this world, stop. With Mint, you can get premium wireless for just $15 a month. Of course, if you enjoy overpaying, no judgments, but that's weird. Okay, one judgment. Anyway, give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. Tis the season to shine with H&M. Discover the holiday collection and find fashionable pieces for your wardrobe or for under the tree. Get inspired and dazzle with this year's glam. From tuxedo styles, bow detailed pieces, impressive prints, and more. From unforgettable looks to unforgettable gifts. With fashion finds to home decor, find it all at H&M. Treat your loved ones and yourself this season. Shop in-store or at hm.com. And so that cycle of like, okay, I'm excited. I got this. And then I'm a failure. It's like, if people would just realize that diets are the failure and they're setting you up for that and just perpetuates this low self-esteem and these feelings of low self-worth, I think that would help a lot. girl, imagine a life where you feel supported, connected, and understood. I get it. Being a mom is hard, especially when you're spinning so many plates. We exhaust ourselves trying to create the perfect life for our family. You deserve to enjoy your family without the stress perfectionism brings. On this podcast, I provide practical and relatable life experiences. I teach women quick and easy to use strategies to help them reclaim their identity, reignite their marriage, and enjoy their children. If you're ready to be challenged, then pull up a chair, grab a pen and paper, because it's about to go down. I'm Veronica Cisneros, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is the Empowered and Unapologetic Podcast. Ladies, welcome to Empowered and Unapologetic. I'm your host, Veronica Cisneros. Today's guest is a licensed psychologist and is recognized as a certified eating disorder specialist. After overcoming her own struggles with having an eating disorder, it was always her dream to focus solely on helping women overcome their struggles with food and body image and to achieve a balanced life. She now sees patients in her own practice and spreads information and awareness about eating disorders and body image struggles through her podcast, Behind the Bite. So please help me by welcoming Christina Castanini. Hey, Christina. Hey, Veronica. I'm so super excited to have you because I feel like I've, with everybody that I coach and even some of the clients I see in my own private practice, I feel like everybody's talking about diets and it's summer. Do I wear the damn bikini? Do I wear a full body suit? Do I wear a turtleneck? Like what the hell does this look like? <laughs> no, it is so prevalent. It's so out there. And, uh, you know, it's, an eating disorder specialist, you know, it's just my head spins because it's such diet culture out there. And I know mm-hmm. my little voice compared to what is out there in social media and the loud voices of the diet and beauty industry. I'm like this little tiny voice. And, um, 
So it's hard for me when I get people coming in to see me too, because they're struggling with so much. And especially after COVID, I think people were just really struggling so much with a lot of issues with food. And like we, there were these terms out there, I don't know if you heard them, but like COVID-15 and um, there was so much out there and promoting dieting. And so there's just a lot right now I think people are struggling with, and it's the first summer in a long time. And people are really feeling the pressure to get out there and they're feeling self-conscious being around people. So absolutely. I can imagine you're getting lots and lots of noise on your. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You meant in your bio, I read, you know, having an eating disorder, overcoming it, and now wanting to help that population. Can you tell us a little bit more about that with your field? Sure. Uh, So I had an eating disorder starting in middle school. And uh, thankfully, I was, it was years and years. I was probably the worst patient ever. I just didn't believe that anyone was out there to help me because they didn't relate to what I was talking about. So all my treatment providers were telling me what to do, but I didn't really feel like they got me or understood me. And so they were telling me to do all these things. I'm like, (laughs) in my mind, my eating disorder was telling me horrible things. Like they just want you to eat and make you fat, or they're just lying to you, or they don't understand you. And I just felt like, gosh, you know, when I became a clinical psychologist, I sat back and I actually didn't want to specialize in eating disorders because I thought, oh, there's this myth out there that therapists or wounded warriors and they just bring their own stuff into the, <laughs> the session and they talk about themselves. And I was like, I don't want to perpetuate that. Right. Uh, but I did realize I was far enough out in recovery that I wasn't getting triggered. And I found that people really were coming in and I was relating to them and I, there was a lot they didn't have to explain to me. And I just got it. I understood it because I had been struggling with eating disorder and body image stuff for so long in my past. So there's so few of us out there that's, that are actually specializing in treating eating disorders that I feel like, you know what, I get it. And I think yeah. this is really important. Uh, they're the number one deadly mental health illness. And yeah, it is. so, and there's so many people struggling and we just don't talk about it enough. So I uh, started a eating disorder, um, I guess, clinic department, whatever you want to call it at the hospital for 15 years. And realized, you know, I'm only doing so much at the same place. So uh, in October of 2019, I left to start my, well, I had done my practice for like a day um, while working at the hospital, but I just said, you know what, I want to do something bigger. I'm getting older. (laughs) This is my career. (laughs) We got to get more awareness out there. We have to get more information, hopefully more prevention. So I just said, let me do this in my practice full time. And like you said, I started my podcast, hopefully to get more information out there be more vocal, get the right information out there, debunk these myths that dieting is good, or you can never get over an eating disorder. Uh, Because like you said, there's so much noise out there that's so loud, perpetuating so much misinformation. And that's why people are struggling. They're confused. Absolutely. So one thing I find um, with, with women is there's a lot of punishment. There's so much punishment. There's so much guilt. And then we go into the self-sabotage mode. And most of us don't even realize that we're doing it. You know, we go into, okay, I'm going to eat right. And I'm going to eat healthy. And we're on this kick and I'm, I'm embracing this, this new life, this new way. And then the minute we go into maybe eating, you know, a donut or an ice cream, all of a sudden we then go into the fuckets and screw it. I'm going to go ahead and since I already messed up, I'm going to go all the way. And there's all of this. We, we shame ourselves. We go into... We go into so much negative thinking. It's very difficult to come out of. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I started doing um, 75 hard. I don't know if you've heard of it, mm-hmm. but I did the 75 hard challenge. And it was all about working out two times a week, or I'm sorry, two times a week, two times a day, every single day for 75 days straight. Wow. Making sure you stick to, it was 40, two 45 minute exercises, one indoor, one outside reading a book, 10 pages of a book. And there were, there were other guidelines following a diet, any diet, and then not drinking. And so I was like, you know, I could totally do this. And so I started doing it. And with the diet part, it was like, well, I don't want to embrace any diet. I just want to make sure I'm eating healthy. But what I found is I start, I discovered that, well, I should stay away from carbs 
Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was that back and forth voice of, no, you, you're good. Like you're working out two times a week. But then there was like that need for validation. You know, well, you're working out two times a week so you can reward yourself with carbs. But I I noticed in myself, and I've, I've, I've worked in a hospital setting, a partial hospitalization program. I've seen a whole slew of clients that struggled with eating disorders, you know, and so it's like, I mean, I I can't say I specialize in eating disorders, but I I'm familiar with eating disorders and help helping you know with treat them. So it was like holy shit, help! I'm I'm doing some of the same things like, and it was this back and forth kind of like tug of war with no you, you you can eat you you eat damn it like you can do these things. And so where would you say all of the, like we all know it's social media we all know it's society. But why do you think it's so ingrained in us that there has to be some form of punishment or restriction or rule that we have to follow? Yeah, and it's interesting, right? I'll ask people, well, tell me about your labels for food, because there's this typical thing that happens where people say good food, bad food, healthy food, unhealthy food. And I'll ask them, list off what's on your list. And by and large, right? Like carbs are on the bad food list. And I'm still baffled by this, right? Like I'm old enough to remember the eighties where carbs were like king and eat all the carbs and don't eat fat. Fat makes you fat. And like, I don't even know where protein was. It wasn't even talked about, but it was like, (laughs) you know, back in that day, it was like, eat all the carbs you want. And there was like snack wells that were like all carbs, low fat, low fat, this no, don't eat fat. And fat was demonized. And then there was a split, right. And all of a sudden it became like the zone. And it was like 40, 30, 30. And then it was like, South Beach. And all of a sudden there was this shift where carbs were like the devil. And it was then Atkins and, you know, paleo and all these things come out. And I'm always just kind of sitting back going, all right, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? Mm -hmm. Because it's like 15 minutes of fame for every diet. And it's interesting just with like generations, how that flips. Because I did grow up where it's like, eat all the carbs you want. (laughs) So how did that change? But so I do, like you said, it's the social media. It's what we are kind of programmed, I guess, by what we hear. But it's interesting because if you think about the good food, bad food list or healthy, unhealthy, when you eat something on your good list, you feel good. It's like this moral thing. Like I'm so good. Right. Yeah. And if you eat something on your bad list, all of a sudden it's like, now you become bad. And it's interesting what goes on there. And it's oftentimes based on if you're on a certain diet, right. And you can kind of make yourself crazy. If you go on yeah. to the internet and look at different diets, one will say like, this food is awful. It's like, you know, going to make you like gain all this weight. And then that same exact food in another diet is like, this is the one that you need to eat a lot of. because It's like, yeah. going to melt fat and it, you could actually really go crazy trying to figure out like what. And so if we look at food as just fuel, fuel and nutrition, that is all the purpose of food is like when it became this moral thing about us, like if you eat this, you're bad. If you eat this, you're good. Um, we tend to want the foods that we deprive ourselves of more. They become forbidden, right? So if you're depriving yourself of say ice cream and you really like ice cream, what happens is you deprive, you deprive, you deprive yourself of it. And you're eating all these quote unquote good foods. Maybe you don't even like them, but you're told you got to eat these right in your mind. You're thinking really what I say, the good foods are the ones you, you tell yourself, these are the foods that won't get me to gain weight or they're safe. I can tell myself I'm okay. Somehow that got in people's minds or the bad foods or the, if I eat these, I don't know if it's something magical that happens. Like you eat these automatically, you're thinking I gain weight and I got to go burn it off. It's kind of interesting. It's like, that doesn't happen. Our bodies naturally need a certain amount of fuel every day just to exist and live. Mm-hmm. So why the mentality of if I eat an Oreo or a donut, now I'm automatically going to gain weight. I've got to go burn it off. This guilt instills. It's like, yeah. your body's going to use the donut. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you need the fuel. But it's that fear that sets in from somewhere, right? So people say, no, I'm not going to eat the donuts. I'm not going to eat the ice cream. I'm going to put those in this forbidding category or often here. I can't have those in the house. I'll eat all of it. Yeah. Right. And that's the mentality that happens when you restrict so much things you love and enjoy 
because then when you do get around them, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know the next time I'm going to have these again. Yeah. I better eat them all now, or I got to get rid of them because if any part of this is still in the house, like it's going to be calling to me and tempt me, I, I got to get rid of it. And so people will eat in abundance of it or all of it just because it's like, this is my one chance or I got to get all gone and then I'll be yeah. good, quote unquote, good tomorrow. I'll yeah. start over tomorrow. And it is kind of that like guilt inducing a penance and I got to berate myself, beat myself up. I can't believe I did that. And so looking at this and saying, what's happening here? It's just food. It became so much more. It became this, like, I'm lacking willpower. I'm a failure. I'm not trying hard enough. But again, it's just food. And so it, so if you think about it, say like donuts, like we, like I said, we all need a certain amount of fuel energy just to exist and live. It, even if you ate one donut a day, every day or two, even right over the course yeah. of a week, that's really not going to have really much of an effect on your appearance or how you look right. 80% of how we actually appear is genetic. Yeah. Right? So looking at your ancestors and kind of going like, what's my body actually meant to look like? If you, you know, look at your family and they all have big bones and they're broad and like they're tall, you know, and you're trying yeah. to be someone with small bones and tiny and shorter and like a size zero, good luck. I mean, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to really struggle and you're never going to get there. And we don't do that with any other species, right? We don't have Rottweilers looking at Chihuahuas going, hey, you know, if I starve myself enough, I can look like <laughs> you. We don't, we don't do that, right? We do that with ourselves, though. Have these expectations that are totally faulty and, and just unattainable. And so trying to follow these diets that also are and like your 70, whatever, what, 75? Yeah, 75 hard. You, you just can't keep it up. It's not sustainable. And mm -hmm. so thinking about that, it's like, well, if we put a hundred people on that same diet that you were on or same program, every uh, one of those people is going to have a different outcome. Yeah. Right. Because every single person has different needs, activity levels, stress levels, genetics, metabolisms, also just everything. And so to expect that everybody's going to get a similar result is ridiculous, first of all, but also to think everybody needs the same amount of fuel every day in the same amounts is also ridiculous. Some days you are more active. Some days you're more sedentary. Some days you're more stressed. Some days your hormone levels are different. Like, so how yeah. you can eat the same amount as one person to the next every single day for all these days is insane. First of all, it doesn't yeah. make any sense. But maybe you don't even like the food. So you're sitting there like, oh, I hate this food. Can't wait till the 75 days are over. Um, so then by that time, let's say the 75 days are over and you absolutely hated all that food. Now you're so deprived. Guess what you're going to go do? Yep. Binge. Right. Because it's like, oh my gosh, when can I have my donut? Yeah. So, let, so let's say you had like even one or two donuts every day. And I don't like talking calories. I really don't. But let's say, I don't know. Maybe you set three, 400 calories every day. You know, a, a typical woman needs anywhere from like 2,000 to 23, 2,500 calories just to stay alive, right? Yeah. That's a drop in the bucket. That's like nothing, right? Yeah. But most women be like, that's so much, or I can't do that. But if you think about it, when you deprive yourself, let's say you have a cheat day. I hear people say this a lot. I have one cheat day or... yeah. You know, you finally have that mentality. You're like, oh, okay, I had the the one bite of donut. I broke the damn, you know what? All bets are off. I killed my diet today. I'm just going to binge today. Now you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of calories yeah. in one sitting versus what? Maybe 1,200 over an entire week, 1,500. I don't know. But it's like, if you have it in moderation when you actually want it, it's a whole different ball game. So it sounds like what you're saying is take the freaking rules out. Yeah. Take the rules out. Take the rules that you created out because the rules are essentially what's what's alluding to us gaining all of this undesired weight because we've set such strict rules, such strict expectations on ourselves. And with all of those restrictions, it's it's not a matter of whether or not we're disciplined. It's just we've deprived ourselves from so much. 
That makes so much sense. Okay, so let's say we strip ourselves from the rules, right? We take out the rules. What's next? What do we do next? And I often get that people are like, okay, I don't, I'll get phone calls from the grocery store. Like, I don't know what to buy. Yes, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, now what? I'm just not going to eat because I don't know what to do next. And I don't know what to make. And I don't know how to make it. Do I use avocado oil? Do I use canola oil? Right? I've, I've heard of this myself. Shit, right. I've been in that. So <laughs> right. so with your, with your profession, what would you say is next? Okay, I let go of all of the rules. And letting go of all of the rules was scary as hell. Now, do, now what do we do? Well, I think then it becomes down a list of your foods. It's like, get rid of the, the other list, the external list, the whatever, guru's list, the expert's list get rid of that and say, what is Veronica's list? Like what foods do you actually enjoy eating? What do you like? Because if you don't have that list, you don't even know what you want to eat, right? Yeah. Like for so long, people say they've convinced themselves. I don't like carbs. I don't like whatever. I don't like chicken. I don't like beef. I don't like all fried foods, but it's like, do you really not like it? Or have you convinced yourself that you don't? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an internal question most people struggle with. It's like, no, I really like bread or I really love pasta. But for so long, they've just told themselves they can't have it. So, no, I, I don't like it or I don't eat it. Um, and there's a fear there of like, what's going to happen when I eat this? Or oh, there's, it, it's really hard for people. And one thing is to sit down and just kind of say, okay, this is my list of things I like to eat now. How do I eat? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. for so long, they've been told what to eat or, you know. Um, but one thing to keep in mind is, you know, if you've ever seen a baby, like we were all born with this innate ability to know when we're hungry and to know when we're no longer hungry, right? And babies yeah. are so in tune with that when they're born. And we're yeah. all, we all still have that. It didn't go away. We just have shut it off for whatever reason. When dieting, you know, you shut off your hunger signal. No, I'm not hungry. Or you're told things like, drink water or no, you're not really hungry, <laughs> all sorts yeah. of things. Right. And so getting back in touch with that ability to know when you're actually hungry is really hard at first. Like, Cause most people think, especially if they've been dieting a long time, they think starving is hungry. And when you're starving, all bets are off. You're like, give me anything Eating that's anything. ready to go. Just anything. like, I need to eat now. You're not going to be sitting there thinking like, Hey, I have time to cook a meal that I'm really going to enjoy. Not a chance in hell. Not a chance at all. <laughs> Grab whatever's ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so, so, yeah. So you were saying, so once we get to that point, now knowing when you're hungry and, and being able to identify that, how do we do that when we've gone to this place of completely restricting, waiting until starvation, like when we're like, no, for all, I, I need to eat now, you know, because I've been guilty of it myself, you know, skipping meals and not necessarily on purpose, but, you know, with our, with our profession being in back-to-back sessions and then going, oh shit, it's like seven o'clock. And I had those overnight oats, maybe a protein bar, Mm -hmm. but now I'm grabbing whatever the hell it, whatever the hell my husband likes to make appetizers and things like that. So it's like, oh yeah, all of that is gone. Like all of that. (laughs) So how, how do we get to that place where it's like, knowing and being able to identify when you're body is actually needing that fuel to eat versus waiting for starvation. And I think that's, that is actually a a hard thing to do. Um, And it's experimenting with your body now at this point. So it's figuring out what I like to say is you want to feel better emotionally and physically after you're done eating than you do before. So if you try to eat, like I say, training wheels, if you try to eat like every two and a half, three hours, just something small, just to see how your body responds, because you got to get your body up and functioning and your metabolism yeah, going, right? Absolutely. And we do run on hunger cycles. So if you're eating, typically if you're eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're no longer hungry, that's about the time when you start getting hungry again. And everybody's signals are a little different. You might be thinking about food and you're noticing your, you know, mouth watering or, um, you notice a little stomach growling or you just kind of notice different things, little nuances before you get to that starving part where you're like lightheaded and grouchy and ready to kill people. Right? Yeah. Right? <laughs> Angry. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's really starting to be in tune with yourself more, but also experimenting a little bit and saying, okay, if I eat 
And again, keeping in mind, it takes 20 minutes for us to register from the start of eating if you're hungry to no longer being hungry versus full. And there's a difference between I'm no longer hungry and then I'm full. The problem is most people eat so fast that they bypass that and they get the full. And so it is a matter of really kind of slowing down and enjoying your food and really taking stock for yourself of how do I feel when I'm eating this? How does my body respond to this food? Mm -hmm. How, how does my body shift and change? And usually the first bite is really the most potent. Your taste buds, your receptors are the most open the first bite. And as you get down the hunger scale, your taste buds start to close off. So the food will taste less like potent. I love that you said, I love that you said that, um, especially the fact that it takes 20 minutes for your body to register. Okay, we're good. You know, I, I never knew that. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm making mental notes myself and you're right when we're eating. Well, when I'm eating, I shouldn't classify, I shouldn't put it under everybody else. But like when we're, when I'm eating, the first bite is like, oh my gosh, it's kind of like this high, right? Like, oh, this is so awesome. I'm celebrating and there's music going and dancing when I'm eating. So <laughs> you dance when I'm enjoying it, right? And then what I've noticed is after, you know, you're eating, you're eating, you're eating, but after maybe the first couple bites, you're looking for that high again, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm looking, uh, me personally, I'm looking for that that it's going to be the last bite when I have that high again, like that last bit of enjoyment. And that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. What is that? Well, that's your body letting you know. We're not longer hungry, you know? Put your food down. Right? Um, But that's just biologically what happens, right? There's just different signals. And so just everybody's got to get to know their own body and how it's Mm -hmm. responding. And it's okay, you know, if you get past, no longer hungry or to fool or stuff like that's a choice, right? Of course, nobody's going to like beat you up over it. Um, but again, it's like, how do you want to feel after you're done eating? Right. And so that's what I keep in mind is there's no rules, right? It's just, if you want to feel better physically after you're done eating, like, do you want to feel stuffed? Probably not. It's not going to be very comfortable. Um, but you also don't want to feel still like you're hungry because then you're going to be, <laughs> More yeah. prone to being hangry later, right? Like you don't want to get, you want to eat enough to get you throughout your day, right? That's the whole purpose of food. Again, it's like putting gas in the car. You got to fuel up and then go on. <laughs> like You got to yep. keep going. Um, but also when I was talking about emotionally, you want to feel better. You don't want to feel deprived. So if all you're eating is like salads or things you don't like or telling yourself, I have to eat this, you're going to feel deprived. And that is going to build up the pressure to a binge later. But here's where people get scared. They're like, oh my gosh, like I'm just going to eat brownies and cookies because I'm emotionally going to feel so much better. Yeah. But here's the thing. You have to also factor in that physically you want to feel better. So if all you're eating for every meal are cookies and brownies, like physically you aren't going to be functioning very well over time. You're going to be like lethargic and not concentrating well. And, you know, so there has to be some kind of balance there. So like, sure, brownies and stuff are great. And all of that, like emotionally might be like, this is amazing. But if you do that for every meal, physically over time, you're not going to be feeling that great. And so it's like both. It's like, okay, so what do you enjoy eating that you feel like this is great, but my body's also responding really well to it. And I can get on with my day and focus and concentrate and not feel sluggish and lethargic. Yeah. So um, when we get into that emotional pattern, how much does, how much would you say confidence, the lack of confidence gets in the way of us maintaining a healthy lifestyle? Well, and I guess that's the definition for everybody's different. Like what do they think of as healthy? And I think that is actually a, a big thing. Um, Cause I think the word healthy gets. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No, this is why I bring it up. Yeah. I it, think it's defined in so many different ways. Healthy could be, okay, you're healthy because you're not eating carbs and you're not eating donuts. And when we look at it clinically, that that's not healthy. That's not healthy at all. Right. Right. So, so if we look at it clinically healthy, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying. It's like, how does my body respond to this? How, where am I at emotionally? Where am I at physically? And, and bringing those two together because they are extremely important. There's a lot of people that will emotionally eat and then feel like shit after. 
and then they go into body shaming and then they go into all of, you know, the whole gamut of distorted thinking comes into play, right? And so when we're looking at staying away from trying, staying away from trying to find validation and security in food, Mm -hmm. this is what I'm talking about when I, when I bring in confidence, because I do feel like that lack of confidence that we have can attribute to us going into that emotional eating zone where we're trying to find validation and comfort with food, right? Yeah. And that can be one form of coping, right? So people can turn to food for comfort, for companionship, for escape, for all sorts of things. And it's really trying to figure out like, what is your relationship with food? Like, how did you start using food for that? Like, what is the purpose of food for you? Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's different for everybody. Not everybody turns to food to cope. Some people use it for all sorts of different reasons. Some people, you know, escape they don't have to deal with their problems or they come home to a lonely household and it's been their companion or from a young age food's been the one thing that provides them companionship and comfort so everybody's got a little bit of a different thing um but i think the the most detrimental thing is when people beat themselves up because of how they're eating and they say i'm a failure i lack willpower i'm not good enough i'm not doing this enough And I think the diet culture really perpetuates that because when you go on a diet and diets all fail, you're not the failure diet. (laughs) They're setting setting you up to fail, right? And so everybody who comes off a diet, because you can't sustain it very long, you come off and you say, I failed again. I screwed up. I didn't do it. Like there's all that self-deprecating language that goes on in here. And it just sets you up for another diet to come along and say, Hey, this is the one that's finally going to work. And everybody gets so excited. Like, okay, this time I'm going to do it. And they get excited and, you know, my quote unquote work the first week or two or whatever, but ultimately you get to the same place again and again and again and again. And so that cycle of like, okay, I'm excited. I got this. And then I'm a failure. It's like if if people would just realize that diets are the failure and they're setting you up for that and just perpetuates this low self-esteem and these feelings of low self-worth, I think that would help a lot. Yeah. I love that you said that. So we take, we pay attention to our bodies and how often our bodies need fuel. We pay attention to the foods that our bodies, you know, um, whatever we want, right? so where do we go from there? So after we've retrained our bodies to go ahead and eat when we're hungry and not eat when we're, when we're, when we're good, where do we go from there? Well, I think it's different for everybody, right? So again, we're all complicated, right? I don't think there's a honey cutter approach, right? Um, I think the thing is to really start looking at food as fuel and nutrition. Like we, you know, kind of like we fuel up our cars, right? You know, if you're going to drive from California to New York, you're not thinking like, oh gosh, I'm going to only put in like a quarter of a gallon, you know, and then try to get all the way there. You know, you're thinking like, I got to put in fuel tank. Then when it says empty, like it's great. Cars have like fuel gauges, right? (laughs) Fuel up again. Like we give, we maintain our cars and other things way better than we do ourselves. Like we are so poor at knowing when our bodies need more, right? Or when we need to fuel up. If we could look at it that way and say, I'm, we don't plug in like a cell phone, Veronica, right? Like, no, we don't. No. We, we keep no. our phones way more charged up and like ready to go than we keep our own bodies, right? Yes. Food actually has a purpose. It's to keep our bones strong, to keep our blood pumping through our veins, our hearts pumping, our lungs yeah. breathing, our brains function. I mean, it has a purpose. It's not there just to like worry about and go, is it going to make me gain weight or lose weight? Or <laughs> it's not there as like an enemy. Yeah. I love that you just said that right now because our food does have a purpose and our food is not, the the purpose for food isn't so we can fit this particular image, which a lot of us, a lot of us get, get, get so wrapped up in, you know, the food, the food that I eat has to make me look this way, you know, and there are so many things that interfere with us, our bodies looking sports model status. Right. If we can become more accepting of who we are and who we're not, how likely are we to live a satisfied, um, 
I don't want to say balanced and I don't want to say healthy, but how likely are we able to go ahead and live out our lives without this constant self-sabotaging pattern? I think that's a big key to it is really looking a lot of people. And I don't know if you hear this too, people saying, I will only be happy once I look this way or weigh this amount or whatever it is. And really looking at the opposite is saying like, can you be happy internally first? Like what, what is it you're really trying to get at? Like, why do you think you can't be happy unless that happens? You're gonna be waiting a long time, maybe forever. Um, and even if you get there, like, are you, that people find like that actually doesn't bring them happiness. No. She brings a lot more misery, right? Um, and so looking at really what is it that's not contributing to you feeling happy? What's mm-hmm. really going on there? And so I think taking food out of the equation and like taking the emphasis off of food and the external and looking internally and saying, why is that such a distractor for you? Why are you focusing so much on that? And I know it's, that's the hardest thing in our society, right? that is the message out there. If you look like this and these people are happy and that's like, that's the message. Yeah. You'll have a happier marriage. You'll have more friends. You'll have, you'll be more popular. You'll be more attractive. You'll be all of these things if you've lost 10, 20 pounds. But the reality, I, I, I love that you're saying that the reality is no, that's not the case. Look at people around you. I think we can all look at people in our lives and say, Nobody looks like a supermodel walking around. I mean, I don't know of any <laughs> like walking around my area and like there's plenty of happily married people with kids and living great lives. And it's kind of like, well, is, isn't that an interesting thing, right? Like who are these magical people walking around with these fantastic lives? I don't see them. I do see happy people and they don't look like that. So what's, what's the key really? Yeah. Would you say that us focusing on diet culture is also, I don't want to say an excuse, but just kind of hearing you out right now, it's, it's also a deterrent from us working on ourselves, like truly identifying what the real issue is. If I can put it on diet, if I can put it on my binge eating, emotional eating, whatever the hell you want to call it, well, then I don't have to look at myself. I can say that the problem's fixed because of my appearance. What I look like says the problem's fixed, but in reality, we're constantly chasing something else because the real issue hasn't been addressed. Right. So looking at the why, why are you turning to food to cope or why, why are you engaging in this behavior or doing this? Like what, like what's the why really? And that's like a lot of what therapy is about is really getting to the, why is this a struggle for you? And again, there's a difference between having a full blown diagnosis of an eating disorder versus maybe disordered eating or, struggling with body image issues. And again, that's like something, you know, a therapist like yourself or me could really help somebody figure out how much of that's actually an illness versus a struggle. And a lot of, I'm sorry, a lot of people don't realize that by them adopting this diet culture, you, you can easily slip into an eating disorder very, very quickly. Absolutely. No, that's absolutely true. And I think a lot of Sometimes people don't realize that like dieting is a precursor for many people to having an eating disorder and it's a slippery slope. So, you know, oftentimes people are so into it for so long and they just think, well, everyone, I hear this a lot, everyone around me is doing the same thing because they hear people talking about dieting and this and that, but what they don't realize is maybe somebody's trying a diet for a week or two and they hear a few people talking about that. They see a few ads and they get this idea, everybody's doing it, but they're not living it like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, because then it becomes extreme. Right. It becomes really extreme and it impacts everything. Uh, so how do we know when we've been able to, I know this kind of sounds like, that's not a dumb question. How do we know when we've been able to truly embrace everything about ourselves and live a life without diet? Like how, how do we, how do we know we're there? How do we know we're like at the, at this clinically healthy um, spot? So it's interesting. People ask me, how do you know you're in recovery? It's um, so there's a few things. Like I, I remember how much my mind was occupied with thoughts about food and exercise. I mean, it was like in seven, probably 90, 
or more percent of my time when I was really in it. Um, it was all consuming and my whole day, my whole, everything revolved around like, when am I going to work out? Like I would skip sleep. I'd skip stuff. I'd make excuses. I was isolating. I wouldn't go to events. Cause I was like, oh, I don't know what kind of food they're going to have or yeah. And it was all encompassing and it ru- ruined like relationships and it was expensive and it was, ugh, it was everything. Um, but also just, I think there's a point now where it's like, I don't, after I'm done eating, I don't think about it later, even as for a second, <laughs> like I just go, I'm hungry. I got to eat. And then I move on with my life. Like, I don't even think about it anymore. Um, there's no fear. Like, I don't look at the scale. I don't body check, look in the mirror. Like, I'm not like, oh my gosh, like if I, you know, look in the mirror and like freak out, it, it, there's just a total difference. And I'm not looking at other people like comparing myself in my mind or, um, but I think the other thing is when I hear people talk about dieting, I go, oh God, that sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> Versus before I was like, oh, tell me about that. Like, I just want to hear everything they were saying. And I almost felt like, oh, maybe this is the new one. Like maybe this is the, finally the one that's going to do it for me. Or, I mean, it's just such a different world. Yeah. So it sounds like what you're saying, if we're inherently or in this constant bad eating, unhealthy eating, whatever cycle, right? It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily unhealthy. It's more of our mindsets and our perspectives on how we label our eating habits. Well, you know, I think that's part of it. It's really like, how did you get, well, how, why is that person labeling it like that? Everybody's individual, right? So everybody's got their own reasons for why they label things good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. Like that's their own journey and path. Cause I think it's different for everybody. Uh, But really it's, if you want to say food neutral, I don't know a better way to say it, but really not putting so much value on your own self-worth based on what you're eating or not eating. Yeah. Don't become good or bad based on like what you just ate. Take that out. Take those labels out. Awesome. What it, so um, the two questions I often ask the people that I interview, um, the first one is what are you doing right now personally to live the life you want to live? Well, <laughs> let's see. Well, COVID kind of threw a wrench in things. <laughs> it was interesting. I'd like to be traveling more, but you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, so I'm spending a lot of time with my kids. They're teenagers and that's uh, fun. And getting away from the hospital was a huge thing for me. I just felt like I couldn't practice the way I wanted to. And so now that's just wonderful that I'm able to do that and able to you know, kind of get creative with my career. And uh, so that's, that's a great place to be at right now. Okay. Awesome. And then my last question, what would, what advice would you give to the mom who feels stressed and disconnected? Wow. So moms, (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, I think as moms, you put so much into taking care of everything and everyone else. And you're trying to wear so many different hats and just kind of going back and saying like, who was I before as a mom and what fueled you and what replenished you and asking yourself, are you doing any of those things anymore? Cause I think a lot of moms just kind of get lost and forget who they were. And mm-hmm. that's important, you know, to reconnect with, you don't have to wait till your kids are grown or older to like become you again. Because yeah. you're a fantastic person. The reason you became a mom is because, you, you know, you met somebody and like had a child and like you were this great person beforehand. You had all these years where you were yourself. So your kids are going to love that person too. And it's not, it's not selfish, right? I think a lot of moms have that mom guilt. Like, oh, if I do something for me, it takes away from my kids or I can't do that. And it's like, no, you, it's important to take care of yourself and fill your own bucket because then you have the ability when you're spending time with other people, the quality of time is so much better. Yeah, absolutely. So where can we find you? So I am uh, online. I'm at uh, behindthebitepodcast.com or freedomtowellness.com. So one's my podcast and one is my private practice. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Christina, for jumping on. Oh, thank you. This has been great, Veronica. Oh, one last thing. I understand you're giving our audience a freebie. 
Yes, I have a free nine-week email course. And uh, if you go to my Behind the Bite podcast website, you can sign up for that for free. And that will help you not only kind of understand more about your relationship with food and your body, but also understand a little bit more about how you can get past your struggles. So it'll start you on your journey. Beautiful. I know a lot of us women need that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again. Many women lose their own identity in the shadow of being a mom and a wife. We are a community of women who support each other. We leave perfectionism behind to become empowered and unapologetic. I want to personally invite you to join our girl gang. It's a free Facebook community for women just like you. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash empowered and unapologetic. See you there. What's up, ladies? Just want to let you guys know that your ratings and reviews for this podcast are greatly appreciated. If you love this podcast, please go to iTunes right now, write a review, rate the episode, and subscribe. Don't forget to share it with your friends. Empowered and Unapologetic is part of the Practice of the Practice Podcast Network, a family of podcasts that change the world. To hear other podcasts like the Ball Mom Podcast, Beta Male Revolution, or Imperfect Thriving, go to practiceofthepractice.com forward slash network. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. This is given with the understanding that neither the host, practice of the practice, or the guests are providing legal, mental health, or other professional information. If you need a professional, you should find one. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addictive Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addictive Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictivemind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there. Hey there, this is Casey McGuire Davidson, host of the Hello Someday podcast. I'm an ex-red wine girl turned life coach who helps busy women change their relationship with alcohol. I spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder while drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. In the Hello Someday podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You can find new episodes of the Hello Someday podcast every Thursday, wherever you listen, and I hope you check it out. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, 
listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there. I know. I know we've been taught that motherhood requires alcohol. I know we've been taught not to question our relationship with alcohol until we've lost everything. And I know we've been taught that if we do dare to examine our relationship with alcohol, we need to head straight to AA and declare ourselves an alcoholic who is powerless to alcohol forever. But what if all that isn't true? That's definitely not my story. I'm Suzanne, the host of the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm an influencer who stopped drinking in January 2020, and since then, I've been telling the truth about motherhood, influencing, alcohol, and sobriety. If you suspect deep down that glass or three of wine at night might just be making motherhood harder, well, you're right. Come and join me as I chat with other sober and sober curious moms. Let's laugh, cry, and normalize sobriety together, all while we reheat our coffee for the fourth time today. Hey there, this is Casey McGuire Davidson, host of the Hello Someday podcast. I'm an ex-red wine girl turned life coach who helps busy women change their relationship with alcohol. I spent 20 years climbing the corporate ladder while drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. In the Hello Someday podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking obsessed culture without a buzz and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst case scenario to the best decision of your life. You can find new episodes of the Hello Someday podcast every Thursday, wherever you listen. And I hope you check it out. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.